This episode is brought to you by Arden Labs Education. Sign up today to learn advanced concepts in Go, Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, and more. Visit ardenlabs.com forward slash education for more information. Welcome to the Arden Labs podcast. Our special guest today is Jeremy Sands. Jeremy, I cannot believe that I have you in front of me right now, and we're going to get to talk for the next hour, hour and a half. This is amazing. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Wow, man. So where, where are you talking to us from today? Uh, I, I'm in my guest bedroom in Orange County, California. So it's, uh, it's been a little bit hot lately, but it's finally starting to cool down. So I'm excited about that. Give everybody the kind of two-minute spiel on what you're doing today. Today, I work at a company called Synadia, and we maintain um, a open source uh, high-performance messaging system called NATS. Um, and NATS is much more than just a messaging system. It's kind of an ecosystem around communication. Um, and so I get to wear a bunch of hats um, working on not only that technology, but a lot of the kind of the supporting ecosystem around it, being able to kind of teach and train people um, on how to use it as well as just like working on some of our commercial products, um, which are really, really cool as well. And uh, yeah, I just get to, get to go back to a startup and wear a bunch of hats, which is where, I, where I'm happiest, honestly. And so doing a little bit of engineering work, a little bit of marketing work, a little bit of product work. Um, and that's been super, super fun. I, I'm kind of interested, before we jump in the time machine and we, we, we talk about your journey um, mm -hmm. to working with Nats, I'm kind of interested since is this the first time you've tried to architect and build on a messaging sort of bus like Nats? Is this the first time? And and what are your thoughts so far in say production and production mm -hmm. level engineering? Like putting something like everybody's doing Kubernetes or they're using App Engine or they're like I don't hear a lot of companies saying no. We're gonna glue our microservices together with. A messaging bus like that. So where's your head after spending a few months? Now, I mean, I think that's what got me really excited about um, the the prospect of working on a technology like this is because I came from uh, I came from like an app developer world where, like you're saying, it's like Kubernetes and GKE or putting stuff on AWS or, or whatever that that could be. Um, and, and, and I go and meet a team of all these people. They're like ex Tibco folks or they're like, they just eat, sleep and breathe messaging. They've been doing this for like 30 years. And so it, it's funny when I have conversations with all of those, uh, all those folks and I get excited about a certain concept. They're like, yeah, this is like what, <laughs> this is our bread and butter. Like we've already talked about this. We've been through it. So it's just a very different, um, style of software engineering than what I'm used to. Um, but there's so many benefits um, out of kind of thinking um, in that way. And, and I know you mentioned Kubernetes, it, it kind of one of the things that Kubernetes kind of presents, like <clears throat> deploying your apps is kind of like this solved problem, instead of kind of thinking outside the box a little bit and being like, well, there's there's other ways to go about doing this as well. It doesn't just have to be like cloud services, and Kubernetes for all of your compute, like you, you there's there's a lot of different ways to kind of slice and dice. Um, and you, Kubernetes could be a part of that. Um, and so I think it's been fun getting a new perspective on what it looks like to, 
work on, like you said, like infrastructure level problems. Um, uh, it, it's been, it's been really, really eye-opening. And so, you know, um, I still have a lot to learn because I hadn't, I haven't been like a lot of these folks working on distributed systems for the last 20, 30 years. Um, but it's been really fun to pick up and see kind of what the industry is doing these days and, and where we think it's going. Um, and there's a, there's a ton to talk about there because there, there's a lot of really cool things that I think um, Nats can solve for um, that we're seeing in a lot of really large uh, industries that are re reworking and rehauling themselves. Um, lots of Fortune 500 companies, you know, picking up the technology um, to solve problems that, quite frankly, a lot of other technologies can't. Um, and so that's that's what really got me excited um, to begin with was coming in as like this application developer being like, I know how to like use a Postgres database and I, like I know how to write applications um, and seeing this like whole new world of kind of hardcore, um, you know, really great software engineering. I think it's awesome that I'm still hearing all this excitement coming out of you after how long you've been there now, like three months. Yeah, yeah, three about about three months now. Yeah, I'm still so excited, uh, mainly because I get to work on like new things every day. One day I'm doing a video, another day I'm like helping write some of our um, some of our application code for some of our commercial products. Another day I'm working on uh, you know the the open source stuff, and that's been super super fun. Brilliant. Okay, we're gonna get back to all of that, but this is a podcast about you, Jeremy, and I want to hear kind of your story and how we how you end up here right now in that. So I'm going to, we're going to jump into what I call the time machine. But before okay. I do that, I'm going to ask you a personal question. And that is, when did you graduate from high school? So I have a general <laughs> sense of time and tech. Yeah, I'm still a baby. I'm not, not as much of a baby now. I have kids and stuff. Uh, I graduated high school in 2008. 2008 high school. Okay, good. So that kind of puts us in a, in a frame here of time. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So Here's the first, if you listen to the podcast, you know what question is coming up here. And that is, without thinking too much or too hard, what is that very first memory you have of working on a computer? That first memory that kind of brings you some emotion, right? Like the first thing that pops in your head. Yeah, I think for me, um, it was... It, I was I was working on like it was probably Windows XP. It might have even been like Windows. <laughs> I want to say it's Windows ME uh, is where I got started. Uh, and it wasn't programming, but it was it was the first time I felt like I was really like working with a computer. And it, that was like working on customizing the theme of my Windows box, um, which uh, quite frankly involved a lot of hacks. I think you had to install a bunch of different programs to make it happen. But I remember that first time I was able to like change my cursor to like a guitar or something like that. Cause I was into guitars back then. And I, I thought that was like the coolest thing. And that's what got me started. Like working, working with computers in a way that wasn't just like, you know, browsing the web dial up or, um, or even like, I don't know, working with a word document or something like that. So I think that got my, my interest. I was probably eight or something like that, seven or eight. Yeah. All right. So still in like elementary school. Yeah. That happens. And that's a computer that's at home, correct? Yep. Or was that a computer somewhere else at home? That, that, so that who, was a computer at home. Yeah. Who brought that computer home? Who's, whose computer was that? That was, that was my dad. So my dad was a little bit of a tech. He wasn't a, um, 
the program or anything like that, but he was fairly techy, liked to tinker with things a little bit. And so he always had made sure that we had computers <laughs> at the home and that we got to kind of play and work with them, which was, which was kind of fun. What, what did your dad do for a living? He, he's, He's a sales guy. Um, he sells like commercial lighting or something like that. But he he he's always been just a little bit techy, you know. And that's been that's been kind of fun. Yeah. So he has like an electronics engineering background too. Was that a, a a working computer for him? So you had to be really careful when you were on it, or was it for the for the family to kind of use? And it was yeah, it was for like the family to use and stuff like that. I kind of want to start thinking about, I I like to kind of start when you enter high school, because that's when things really kind of start to matter and Mm -hmm. starting to kind of form some ideas on, on who you are and you want to do. But what, what were some of the things you were super interested in as, as you're entering high school? Yeah. So music was like a big catalyst for me, especially with like linking to computers and things like that. Um, I, I wanted to get into music production. I liked the idea of producing music. Um, and so I think around high school, maybe freshman, sophomore year of high school, um, my parents, you know, bought me computer programs to help do music production. And I think that's, uh, it was probably in high school when I also got my first Mac. Um, it was the very first Mac mini. You remember those? Um, and uh, that's when, I got to start working with computer production first. It started with like GarageBand, and then it moved into logic. And, um, I also got very well supported, a lot of support from my school to go learn and do music production. Cause I guess it was like mutually beneficial to them as well, because I, I helped, you know, run a lot of things at the school related to music production and recording and sound and, and all of that. But they paid for like, um, training for me to, to go learn, you know, logic, um, and, and know how to do more professional music production. Um, and so I think that was the interest that really brought me into computers. Yeah. All right. Define for me what music production is only because uh, it doesn't sound like you were playing an instrument. So it wasn't like you were maybe producing your own drum, guitar, keyboard, and like, Describe to me how you would practice music production at home. And I imagine you were helping theater out and band yeah. out and other things. But can you just give me like a couple of minutes on what is what is music production, and at least in what you were doing in high school? Yeah, so I was I was playing music, um, but that wasn't the dominant part. Like, you know, I know how to play a few instruments, but it, it wasn't like I was only doing it to make my own music here. Right? I was helping out theater and choir um, on, on kind of recording. I was also doing, uh, like, you know, I was doing orchestral compositions for theater. Um, I had a few original scores that I worked on and then, um, and yeah. And then helping out with band and choir, um, was a big thing. So do setting up and doing, you know, multi-track recordings for live stuff, um, or, you know, producing and editing, um, you know, certain types of, music, whether that's for pre-recorded stuff or for, um, you know, editing, whatever the, the, the band is doing live. All I know is lighting is like impossible. And mm-hmm. then getting everybody at the same volume or at least volumes where, you know, how many times I've seen a band and I'm like, her mic is so low. Why doesn't anybody realize that the instruments are drowning yeah. her out or, or something is, else? Yeah. So- sound is so 
Yeah, well, I'm very sensitive to it too. My wife makes fun of me, but she's also picked up on it too. And we, because we like still going to to theater and and seeing shows and everything like that. And we're like, ah, oh, when the audio is bad, it just ruins the whole experience. And so, yeah, that was a that was a big thing for me. Also, in high school is when I started getting into like being probably what most programmers have done in their past, which is like they ended up being tech support for like friends and family. Um, and I ended up doing that for school, which is really funny because I was, I was not a great student. Like I wasn't a straight A student. I was probably a good like B or C student just cause I like, I don't know. School for me was, was, um, was difficult. Um, be- or I was more bored or something like that. But, uh, the, I, I remember I, I had, um, I, I worked tech support, um, as one of my like electives, um, where I was like the one guy at the school that could fix all the teachers' computers. I got my own golf cart and I got, you know, most of the time I was skipping class, um, because I was fixing other, you know, teachers' computers. So all the teachers loved me. Um, but I hardly went to class like my senior year of high school because I was mostly, um, you know, helping people fix their computers, um, and helping admin the network, uh, at, at our school. Um, and it was probably around that time I started getting into programming was, was senior year of high school. What kind of programming were you doing inside the school? Was it the scripting? Was it actual, I, I guess they had a lab, so they had classes too for you talk about that. Yeah, they didn't really have, my school didn't really have labs or classes around programming, maybe some very basic stuff. Um, but I was, um, it's when I really started getting into um, actually like the language I started working with was um, was was ActionScript and Flash and Adobe Flex. If you remember all of that, that was kind of like precursor to what HTML5 and you know is now and w- what a lot of these front end web frameworks are kind of doing these days. Um, you know, back back when we had HTML4 or just HTML, we we didn't really have all that rich functionality. So you know, Flash. Flash did a lot of that. Um, and so, yeah, I was mostly kind of just working on like front end applications, um, sometimes stuff for the school, sometimes just projects that I would want to play around with. But um, that's when I started really getting into like, oh, maybe I could like program computers. And I, I first got into it because I wanted to do um, programming for music production. So um, digital signal processing and, and everything like that, write plugins. Um, and I also got into kind of like sampling musical instruments, which is basically like you record a lot of all the different notes and different, you know, uh, different variations and you map them to a keyboard so you can like do, you know, digital composition. So I could say like, I'm going to press every key on the piano at different, like, you know, um, at different variances and, and capture that. So somebody can play it, um, on a keyboard. Um, or you do it with a violin or a guitar or whatever. And so I started getting really into that and that required a little bit of scripting to be able to do as well. So I was, I was kind of scripting musical instruments. I was writing little programs for the school um, and I was fixing uh, teachers' computers. <laughs> and that, that's, that's when I started. What instruments do you know how to play? I know how to play piano and guitar. Um, yeah, piano and guitar pretty much. Uh, other little stringed instruments I can pick up. I love when I go to a bar and um, I see this more in, I've seen this more in Huntsville than in Miami, but I'm now I'm finally seeing it in Miami though. It's all over Key West. Anyway, when you get the guitar player and they just, they lay down the bass line, they lay down this, they lay this down, they lay that down. And within about 60 seconds, they've got all this accompaniment behind mm-hmm. them. And then they play and they sing that song. The first time I'd ever seen that, 
So maybe, I don't know, eight years ago. I, it was mind-blowing what somebody yeah. was doing on stage. And it's always a white box with no labels. So can you explain that to me? Why do these boxes are like white buttons with colors and nothing's ever labeled? I don't, how are they doing that? How are these musicians just... It's either with their feet or something. I don't know, man. It's mind blowing. Yeah, they, they, there's like a, there's like a, there's a bunch of different ones. I mean, there's so many different pedals. There's like, you can nerd out all the, there's, you know, my, my brother's a way better musician than I am. He's out in Nashville. Um, and he, uh, he's a total gearhead with, with this kind of stuff, but these are, they're kind of just like loopers. So, you know, you can imagine some of them are, are analog. Most of them are, are digital. Um, but you know, they'll capture the audio that comes in, they'll kind of loop it back, um, put some effects on it. Um, and you could just layer them in different tracks. And so, um, they're, yeah, just little, little boxes. There's a lot that you could do when you learn, you know, some, some of the basics of like digital signal processing, you could do a lot of really cool stuff with audio and with video and everything like that. It's mind blowing when I see that. And I don't see a lot of equipment on the floor. So I don't know if it's the same pedal and they just know how to press it right or dude, yeah. it's mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. There's little pedals where there's like one button. And if you like you, if you press it in a certain sequence, you could have all different kinds of functionality. There's, there's a lot of neat things that people do with, with pedals. So it sounds to me like your grades are probably not where it would have been nice for them to be because you're doing all this extracurricular stuff and you're into music. So I imagine as you're getting near the end of high school, you're thinking about going into the music field, right? Is that what's going on yeah. in your head as you're graduating? Yeah. So I had a, I had a couple of teachers that were really good advocates for me because it was funny. I, I didn't get great grades, but everybody really liked me at the school. I even had like, I had got special awards. I had like my face up in the office, but like I was getting terrible grades by senior year. So it was just very funny. Um, the kind of the, the setup that I had. And I, I remember because my wife and I actually went to the same high school. We started dating in high school. And, um, and she, she, I remember she would get frustrated because she's a total like straight A student. Um, and she would get frustrated that I would get away with so, so much. I was interested in music production and I had a teacher that was a really big advocate for me. Um, and he actually, he, he did co conducting, um, up at like so Sony studios, uh, up here in LA, um, a lot. He, uh, down here, we have something called the pageant to the masters, which he conducts, but he, he did like, um, he did conducting for a lot of movies. Um, but he also did like the family guy and American dad, um, those TV shows. Cause they actually have live orchestral, um, recordings for all of their, for all of their shows. Um, and, uh, and yeah, he would take me up there and I got to really like, meet and learn a lot of the people working, um, in that industry, which was very, very cool. And so, yeah, by the time I was getting out of high school, I was thinking, um, I would be go get, getting into music production and that I would probably be going to college to, um, to go learn that. Um, but I was also getting a little bit interested in, in programming, um, as well. Um, and I didn't know what to necessarily do with that. Um, until, you know, probably when I was close to graduating high school. So what was the decision that you made graduating? What was going to be the next four years of your life? Yeah. So that's really interesting. Um, I thought I was going to be going to, I thought I was going to be going to college and I actually just signed up for a local community college. I went there for like a semester. I think as I was going there, um, I decided to go to my first programming conference. 
Um, it was a, a flex Adobe flex based conference. And I made, uh, just because I didn't know anybody that was there, I assumed everybody that was going to be there was probably like professional, um, like working professionally. Um, and, uh, they had like a video contest. Um, and I made this video. <laughs> I don't think I ever showed you this bill. Um, uh, but I, I made this video, uh, this rap video that, uh, that got really before popular. you went to the conference, before you went to before the, before I went to the conference, yeah, I made this rap video and everybody immediately knew me or not everybody, but a lot of the, a lot of like the conference organizers and the speakers and stuff like that. They all, they circulated that video cause they thought it was hilarious. And, uh, so by the time I got there, I had Oh no, no, do, do. You got to send me a link later. <laughs> I, yeah, I'll send you a link. Um, yeah. And you, you could post it in the show notes, which is why, um, you know, you, my handle is code gangsta. It used to be flex gangsta. And that was actually from this. There's a series of videos, uh, that, that I have of me doing really nerdy raps. Um, they're pretty funny. Uh, and, and that's what like got me kind of noticed, um, in that very first conference. And uh, were you shocked when people were like, you didn't expect that when you got there, right? Like it was all like weird. Yeah, I didn't expect to be received that way. I, it was more like, I'm just going to create a video because maybe there's somebody who sees it and like I can have I can have an excuse to like have a conversation with somebody because like, what am I going to do? I, I, there's, there's this technology that I've played and tinkered with a little bit, but I'm not a professional. And I was under the assumption was like, I'm not going to get a job unless I like go to college for four years, major in computer science, and then I can get a programming job. And it was at that conference I kind of just realized, or people convinced me uh, after I made some, some friends and I told them like, they were asking me kind of, well, what are you going to do? Like, are you going to go to college? Are you going to get a job? And I was like, I'll probably just do college, like major in computer science, but I really do want to work. I like working on these things. And um, I just didn't feel like I was, uh, I was like ready um, or that I knew enough or anything like that to, to work as a professional developer. Um, and very quickly people convinced me otherwise. They're like, you can get a job right now. <laughs> like, um, the, the, that industry was very in demand at the time. First thing I did was, uh, the, our local organizers for our, our organizers for our local meetup. I basically asked them like, would you be interested in giving me an internship? Um, it was funny cause I was, I was 17 years old. I couldn't like book my own hotel for the, um, for the conference. And so I worked with them so they could help me book a hotel because they're the only people I knew locally, you know, that would be helpful. Um, and they ended up hiring me, um, you know, a couple months later for my very first job as a junior developer. So you dropped out of, out of the community college and you just went full-time work. Yeah. Yeah. Drop, what dropped was this out job? after one. It was working, uh, so it was, uh, it was a husband wife, um, kind of couple, uh, from Argentina, but they were really, really good at what they did. They were just a consultancy, um, for, you know, front end stuff. So got to work on some like healthcare, um, like rich, in, rich internet applications is what we called it back in the flex days. Is this flash? What, what's the, what's the tech yes. stack on this? So it's flash based, but flex is like a framework on top of it, like a UI framework on top of it. So very much what people are doing with like, you know, react and Svelte and all the front end stuff today is, um, is kind of what flex was. So we were doing, you know, all that kind of 
react reactivity stuff, you know, all the basic form handling and, um, it, there were some Java isms to there. So we had like tons of dependency injection and stuff like that, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, I was working on some healthcare stuff. I was working in, in games, um, over those past couple of years, yeah, mostly front end. It couldn't have been out, a high paying job, right? You were still living at home at this point. What, what were they paying you? Minimum wage, $10 an hour. It wasn't minimum wage. It was pretty good. I mean, we live in California, so things are, but it was, I think it was, it was my very first job and I moved out um, like soon. You were able to move out of the house, 2008, 18. You were able to move out of the house. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Because my, my wife, Liz, went to school up in LA at a conservatory. Uh, she's in theater. And so we, uh, I was like, I want to, I want to live closer to LA. And my, my, uh, my employers were actually like thinking, thinking about moving back up to LA too. So we just all decided to kind of do that in 2008 soon after I got hired. Um, I, I think I made like $50,000 a year. I think that was my salary. Okay. That's, that's dude. You came out of high school, <laughs> rough, yeah. basically making 50 grand a year and you're able to move to LA and, and, and live on that. That's, that's yeah, really was... wild. All because you went to that conference and everybody convinced you that you were, you were good enough to do. Yeah. Because of this I... rap video that I cannot wait to watch. Yeah. I mean, I see it on Twitter and there's mixed, you know, some, some people kind of criticize conferences or, Oh, why are they so expensive? It's like, well, have you run a conference before? I have like th things are, things can get very expensive very quick. Or people are like, ah, conferences are just there for people to like schmooze and network. And in some senses I agree, but not for honestly, not for programming and tech conferences. So like I've been, and we'll, we could fast forward to this later, but like, you know, I, I've, I went from, from engineering into product management and I've been to product conferences. They're not nearly as fun as, as programming conferences. Um, cause the people you meet are all working and tinkering on like really fun, interesting things. It's not just all about like, well, here's what my business does and here's like what we do. And let me pitch you on our, you know, business idea. Um, it's, it's more, I don't know. There, there's a lot more, you're just around a bunch of nerds that, you know, like to, work on fun things. And I think that's, that's what was fun for me. Um, it definitely felt like, ah, oh, these are my people. Um, when I started going to the conference and yeah, it, it ended up helping me land my first job and probably all, all the, almost all the other jobs after that have always, uh, have always been from a network. Cause now you're in LA, you're, you're engineering these websites. You're using the, really the premier tech at the time. I remember seeing, when Flash came out, I'm not artistic, but video of cars being like put together and taken apart and just wild stuff that I saw happening on a web browser that I didn't even realize could be possible. I mean, I thought the tech was pretty, was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so I took that um, and I started working. I wanted to get into games. I wanted to build games like any gamer probably wanted to do at some point in their life. Um, and so I started studying just a lot more techniques around building game engines um, because the middleware aspect of it really was interesting to me. This uh, is using the Adobe products or something and, else? And this was starting to, yeah, use. So I started using kind of game engines in Flash. And then I met with the people who were building those game engines. And I was like, I want to work with you guys. Um, I ended up getting a contract job. And I was still at the same place at the time, that same consultancy, but I ended up landing a contract job um, for them. 
to to go work on this game project um, where we were kind of they had the game engine, but they wanted to build out like a UI package for it. And at that time, like that was my bread and butter. It was like I could build, you know, UIs all day, every day. Um, but it was fun because instead of using kind of a UI toolkit, you were rasterizing stuff, you know, um, inside of the game engine. And so that's when I got my, um, that's kind of when I dipped my toes into what it was like to kind of build games. At the time, I believe this was a contract for Disney, Disney played them. We were working on a game. Uh, it, it was when all the Facebook Flash games were all the rage, like Farmville. I do. My like kids that. were in that time frame. My kids were young, so I remember playing some of these games from Disney. Which which game? Which game were you working it, on? Well, it's funny because we worked on this game for about a year, and then they ended up closing down the game in the studio. And only a couple years later um, did I realize that they took all of the game engine and assets and stuff we were working on and they rebranded it uh, under another game with another studio that picked it up um so i don't remember the name of the game though um i know it was trying to be more like of a sims kind of game clone thing um and so i was i was running the the ui team at the at that time we were building all the core tech dude you're for... running the ui team time out you can't be more than 20 21 yeah I, I got put into like way way too much responsibility <laughs> too early yeah i was probably 20 around then and at the time i was flying up between uh here i was doing one week um in eugene oregon and then one week back here because i was like they wanted me in office and so i was flying all the time how, how um, was it managing people that had to be minimally five plus years older than you with more career experience it was weird for sure. Um, I've, I've never, I've never been able to, to shake that except, uh, well, no, yeah, I've never been able to, to shake that. I've always felt like the youngest person in the room at all of my jobs. That's a lot of responsibility for somebody at that age. Wow. Yeah. So, so I was working on that game, running the UI team. It was around that time. I also, I think, yeah, this is what happened. I got married. We got married. Um, went on my honeymoon and I came and came back from our honeymoon and the studio was sh shut down, dissolved, which that's just, that's what Mickey Mouse does sometimes. Um, no warning, no, no, like nothing. You had no clue this was going to happen. You just came and you have no job when you get back. Right. And so that's when I was like, I, I need to find a job. And so I, I used my network to go pick up um, more kind of consulting gigs on the flash and flex side. And, um, from an agency, I think I picked up some work on for BlackBerry or RIM Research in Motion because um, they were working on some stuff with the Adobe products. And so I started working on that for a few months, um, but mostly was wanting to work with friends on a new game engine. And um, so we started, I think that's when I really started, you know, we're, I was doing some stuff on the side, but I was also building this game engine. And then they decided like, Hey, let's try to make this a full-time thing. So they decided to pay me. Um, and we worked on this game engine technology. Cause at the time this was 2000, 2010, 11, probably 2010, 2011. We were working on this game engine tech and the flash was kind of falling by the wayside because of Steve jobs and the iPhone and everything like that. And so there, there are still all of these like Facebook games and Facebook game companies um, that were relying on flash, but kind of knew the writing on the wall. Like they're going to have to retool, um, re-educate 
their engineers, everything like that. So we try to take that as an opportunity. This is my first starve up, we call it. Um, starve up. up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was our first oh my God. Up. I never heard that term before. Oh yeah. Starve uh, up. And we were working on kind of a cross-platform mobile game engine. This is where, again, got even more of my feet wet working on game engine technology. But, but also, but what tech, to... what language are you using for this? A, a little bit of everything. And so, you know, at the time, the cross-platform tools weren't great, so you had to write a lot of it. And so, this is where I felt like I started to really grow a lot as an engineer because we were working in C and C plus um, plus. We wrote our own scripting language. Um, called Loom Script, and uh, it was it kind of looked like Action Script, but it had generics and a bunch of other kind of fun features. Um, but it was familiar enough for people who were like writing games in Flash to then like move over to this and get like all the cross-platform benefits. Um, but yeah, we were we were compiling we were compiling our um, our scripting language down to uh, Lua bytecode and running um, you know Lua JIT um, on you know. Android, iOS, Windows, Linux, um, and uh, Mac, and then we You're basically uh, developing a new programming language that was going to be cross-platform with a syntax that everybody felt comfortable with coming from Flash, which is going away. Yes, yeah, and then we had to build all of the other layers. So, like, I was building out a lot of the standard library, which means I had to build a lot of interop, like. For instance, I was like, one of the things we're working on were like, how do we interact with the mobile stores, like the iOS um, uh, in-app purchase store and the in-app purchases for Android. And so, you know, it was, it was all, it was all Java. There was no Kotlin back in the day. So working with JNI <laughs> was a nightmare um, in C. Uh, but yeah, writing a lot of those libraries in C and C++ um, and then surfacing them up to the actual scripting um, But layer. no formal background in any of this engineering so did you have people you were working with that had a formal background on the good engineering practices idioms or were you just really just figuring it out as you went I, I was working with a lot of smart people that really helped they were really influential so even being able to just like read through their code or like hear what they they were able to um, kind of reason through things some of them had written books on designing game engines and stuff like that and so I I uh but yeah, it was a lot of learning on my own too. Like it was when I first picked up the dragon books on like compilers, which I guess like you would do that if you went to, you know, any sort of, it went through any sort of comp by program, but like um, that, that's when I really started picking up um, a lot of the fundamentals. But yeah, if you were to ask me like, can I go interview and like nail the algos portion of the interview? <laughs> probably not. Cause I, I don't have the formal training. I'd probably have to, you know, uh, go through and like know what all these things are formally called and how to talk about them in a way that's more structured. Um, but for the most part, it was just kind of like, yeah, meandering myself through what it looks like to write performant things, to architect large systems um, for, for games and to um, build the right abstractions for that stuff. So how long are you there? Were you successful in getting this engine in use by anyone building games? Yeah, so we got a couple customers, but we had no business sense. We were all just techies. So like the the startup ultimately failed, um, but people did ship games on it, which is cool. So I don't know if they're still out there today, but um, yeah, I mean, there's game. There were games in the app store that used this tech, um, but yeah, ultimately we failed. Um, I decided I saw the writing on the wall, 
and decided like, Hey, I'm pro I'm probably going to jump. This is again, another, uh, and we're, we're good now, me and my buddies, but it, it was, uh, it was another one of those, Oh, I need to find a job because I was like, okay, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, moving on. So I want to give you like a month's notice. Cause I know like I'm pretty integral to the team and they were like, nah, it's okay if you leave next week or no, sorry. It's okay if you leave by the end of the week. And this was like a Tuesday. And so it was like, Oh, I need to find a job. And, and at the time, one of the other languages we were writing, cause again, we were doing C, C++, our own little scripting language, um, Java bindings, uh, a little bit of C sharp. Um, and then, and then we were writing Ruby for, uh, the command line, um, to kind of tie it all together. Cause we had these cool command line tools where you could be like, cool, I'm going to go build my program and I'm going to go like send it over to my device. Uh, and I can get debugging kind of like live and I could do live reload and stuff like that. And so all, all of that command line stuff was like done with Ruby. Um, and so I was like, I was pretty interested in Ruby at the time. This is probably around 2013. Um, and so I was like, I'll just find the local Ruby on Rails shop. I don't even care if it's like, it doesn't have to be exciting, but I just want to find something that's like chill. And, and so I found a local place that was just this bootstrapped little startup had like four people working there. It was called Kajabi showed up. I was like, I don't know a ton about rails, but I wrote Ruby and then I've like worked with all these other technologies and they're like, cool, you should just come join us. And I was like, okay. Um, and so I joined Kajabi as employee number five. Fast forward to about now, that company is like 450 people. I, I was there for nine years. So th this was the job that I had right before joining Synadia. Um, and and yeah, the, the company itself blew up. It's you know worth about $2 billion now. Um, and I wore a ton of hats in that startup from development to marketing and product. I led a product org, product and engineering org of like over people you were there almost that, that's almost been other than this little startup i mean that one company's been your entire career up to yeah yeah we, talk, we talked a bunch about all this other stuff but like the bulk of my career was actually just working at kajabi the last night okay so okay we gotta we gotta slow down a little bit you you, <laughs> you enter this company on the idea that you're going to be learning and writing more ruby what mm -hmm. was what was the very first sort of team or task that you had when you, when you started there? The very first task is I had to write a file uploader. <laughs> um, we were, we were working on like, so Kajabi, you know, mainly works on like online training, um, teaching and training kind of software. Um, so we needed like an up, uh, we needed kind of a, uh, multi-part uploader for like videos that worked well. Um, when writing that in Ruby. And so, I went and wrote that, but again, it was all kind of just scrappy, which I really pr prefer. Like, it's not like, here's my lane. Here's the team that I'm on. It was like, it was four people. So we we're like, we got to go write this new app because we had this, Kajabi was in a pretty good place at the time. They were making about, they had like $2 million in ARR on this like product that was kind of just in maintenance mode, but they needed to figure out like, what are we going to do next if we want to grow as an organization? So we started just banging out a bunch of like SaaS products um to kind of like play with we built a kind of a lightweight online video training thing that we had some people play with um this is when it was like really exciting to like work on SaaS products because like stripe just came out and um you know there's all these kind of like new like we can make it really easy for you to build a SaaS kind of stuff and that the ruby on rails community was very much into that 
Um, we built a landing page builder, which was really fun. Um, and, and that's when I started really like started getting into web technologies a bit. And it's actually when I started um, really taking a look at Go, both for the command line and for um, for web stuff. Uh, right, but before we talk about Go stuff, were you 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 start this company nine years ago? So we're looking at like 2015 ish, 2000 no 13 ish. So that's 2013. Yeah. Were you participating at all in any of the Ruby community stuff? Were you giving talks? Were you not for not for the Ruby stuff? I wasn't giving any talks for the Ruby stuff, and I was. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I've ever been to a Ruby Conf. I was doing some blog posts at the time because the community was like, the community was probably at its peak around that time, and it started tapering off a bit. Um, but I, I was blogging, and I was like, I want to work on my own little open source project. So I think one of the very first things I wrote this is before I joined Kajabi. But I was I wrote like a little, even though it has no business being in uh in uh being in Ruby a little like dependent every time I learn a new language, it's so funny. Every time I learn a new language, uh, I want to figure out, or I did this before. I don't think I do this today. Uh, I wanted to figure out how to write a like dependency injection library in it. Um, especially if the language has like meta programming and stuff like that, it's fun to like play with like the edges of that. Um, which was actually funny enough. One of my first libraries in go as well. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that transition because you're, I met a lot of people who were coding in. Here's something that's funny. I, I I met a lot of people in the beginning of going to conferences, go conferences in that 2000, say 14, 15, mm -hmm. where a lot of people were were day job Ruby developers. I've trained more PHP developers than Ruby in mm -hmm. my lifetime, but the initial set of developers that kind of I'm going to call them the first practical developers that came into the code community, right? Mm -hmm. We're Ruby developers. You're one of them, Mark Bates. Um, mm -hmm. I could probably name another five. Yep. But um, how does Go end up on your radar screen? And are you were you allowed to fairly quickly start using Go at work? Go actually kind of very... the Go. So I remember when Go was announced. And so that was before... I started working at Kajabi or working on Ruby. It was when we were working on the game engine stuff. And I remember like chatting about that with some of my, some of my um, co-founders on that. And, uh, and, and it was fun. It was fun to have like little critiques back and forth. And it kind of sat in the back of my mind until I came to Kajabi and I was like, I want to just play with, with more stuff. And I was thinking, I, I really wanted to get into a community um, like a language community. And I was thinking it would be Ruby, but maybe I was like, maybe I want to play with something different. And so uh, one of the things that always annoyed me when working on that game engine tech was uh, specifically with the CLI was like, it's a pain in the butt to package a Ruby application when people don't have Ruby installed in their systems or Ruby gems or anything like that. And so the portability really sucked. And so one of the things that got me really excited about Go was how portable, um, I mean, how crazy portable like the elf binaries are. And I just wanted something where I could build a command line application and have it, you know, just be fast and portable and easy to install. And I could literally just compile this thing and like give the person the binary and they download it and they can run it. Um, and so that's when I built my first Go library, um, CLI, uh, which is actually still 
popular a lot today. It's fun because I run into it all the time. I'll download a certain tool, um, you know, that, that I need to use. I was, I think I was doing something with X509 certs or something like that. So I downloaded a, a tool that's, that's, that's helpful for that the other day. And I was like, this help text looks really familiar. And I go and I go to their GitHub. I'm like, oh yeah, they're using the CLI library. It pops up all the time. Um, and it's, it's actually what, what, uh, helped me land this job that I have today, which I'll talk, you know, a little bit about later, but, uh, I didn't actually really use much go at Kajabi, which is so funny. I mean, most, all of the go work that I was doing was on the side, um, all the open source work on the side, we still practically chose Ruby because that's what we needed at the time. And it led to a wildly successful company. Okay. I find it fascinating because when I'm just starting out in 2004, 2015, you are publishing package after package of yeah. some really good stuff that I remember the Go community getting really excited about. People were, were using all your stuff. Like your stuff was, in a sense, engineered to be used in production today. It wasn't, it wasn't toy stuff right. that you were, you were publishing. And to find out now that that you weren't necessarily dog fooding it. We're, uh, explain this to me. How are you publishing such quality packages, APIs, frameworks um, when you're not using it every day at work? I know it's it's really funny, and there is a little bit of imposter syndrome there too, um, because like we didn't find like I was still building stuff, but we never found the opportunity to really put something into the critical path into production. Mainly because we were such a small team, and we were working on a we chose to write a rails monolith like that's what was going to like help like feature velocity was a huge important factor for us um uh you know so we didn't rush into microservices or anything like that later on in my kajabi career where we got to write a bit ago but uh yeah at the time uh, it wasn't me dog fooding it um i think a lot of it came from some of the skills that i picked up working on the game engine tech um i really kind of took to um I really liken myself to somebody who's pretty good at like API design and building the right abstractions and, um, and also making things that feel like ergonomic and fun. Um, and so that's, you know, that's, that's what I did. That's what I did to kind of express myself in that community. Um, it was amazing. Now, for those of you who weren't there, uh, part of the community back then, there was this time, which I do not understand where the go community was outright like, down and negative on reflection. It was almost <laughs> yeah. a crime. If you even used, it was a four letter word. Like you didn't even use the word reflection because everybody cared about for some crazy reason, every nanosecond, right? Remember there were the router wars where oh, everybody yeah. was writing their own router and we were competing for nanoseconds of like performance. So <laughs> Jeremy wrote, yeah. I don't remember what it was. I don't know if this was Jen. You wrote a web framework experimenting with the power of reflection to do things really done. What, what was the name? I can't remember oh, yeah, the name. Uh, Martini. Martini. Yeah. And so Jeremy, I'm going to tell you from my perspective, Jeremy publishes this Martini, which is this really amazing sort of code base around how you could leverage reflection uh, to have this sort of dynamic framework, right? Like it was, and people were using it. Like, I remember looking at it like this was like really good stuff. And then somebody decided that 
again, it was using reflection. And this entire sort of war started over a period of like yeah. two months. It, it, was, it was very pedantic. Oh, my God, dude. And I just, I remember shaking my head going, really? Like, you had nothing, like, this is what we're going to talk about for two months, that you shouldn't use this because it's leveraging. Like, if your Go program, it's slow, it's not because of this. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. I promise you, right? It's funny because I still think it's a really fun interface. And I've actually spoken with people um, and discovered even um, in the weirdest ways uh, where people are running Martini in production. And um, like I, I went to a product conference um, and I won't say who, who, but it was a, it was a conference run by, um, you know, a, a product analytics company. That's pretty big. I remember speaking with one of the engineers and I was like, oh, I know you guys work in Go. Um, I, I've, I've worked in Go a little bit too. And they're like, oh yeah. Um, and uh, I, I mentioned like, yeah, I put out a couple projects like uh, Martini and the Groening. He's like, oh, everything we do is in Martini. He's like, you should come to the office. And he's like, he was like, why are you here? And I was like, oh, because well, I work in product now. I'm not, I, I don't do engineering right now. And uh, and so he was like, you should come into the office. So I met with the team and talked with them. And yeah, that like the the thing scales. It's a huge, you know, it's a huge platform that they've built. Um, and I don't know. There, there's some fun like attributes to that type of web framework if people can get their heads past the reflection. The idea that you could just write a you know write a function and in the function signature, you tell it all the dependencies you need. Um, it really works, especially if you're doing a, a lot of testing um, with your particular web framework. The idea of a handler just saying you ask for what you need and the web framework gives it to you is kind of nice. Um, no, I think it was, I and I really love that as a community, we've moved somewhat away from everything having to be so academic back to that practical for you, know, oh, yeah. you built something for the average dev to make them productive, and it was beautiful, right? And so, mm -hmm. I remember when all that was going on, how sad I was, and and how it had to be a difficult time, only because now you're trying to like having to defend, like, dude, relax, like it's all good, you know. What I'm interested in is again, and I know Jeremy from the early days, and we're talking about this, but at some point, Jeremy kind of disappears. Oh, I, I just want to talk about that because yeah. I know not only I was kind of sad about that at the time, you know, it's, it's sad when you have people like yourself that we all love and you're producing all this amazing content and, 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 and all of a sudden like Jeremy disappears and it's like, what's going on? So is that when you kind of transitioned into, into product at some level? Like I, I'd love to hear a little bit about your move from engineering to product and what you've, what you were looking for and, and did you get there? And maybe mm -hmm. you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. And so I think it's a bit staggered, but um, the, about the time I disappeared from the Go community was when I had my first kid and also Kajabi was traction wise was really starting to take off. Um, so it felt like there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't, and because we weren't using Go in production, I didn't feel like it was like, uh, the best use of my time at the time, even though right now, like retrospectively, I'm like, I need to have much more of a balance between the things that I really love to do, which is be a part of a, com a community and to um, build into that and like putting time towards my job. And I want to have a balance now, but yeah, that's when I decided to kind of go full into helping Kajabi be successful as a business. And part of that was also saying like, okay, this, my, my CEO, my boss is, uh, 
is getting stretched as we're growing and he can't be the product guy anymore. Um, and so that's when I decided to kind of like say, I'll be product manager number one. I love our customers. I know them pretty well. Um, I have a technical background still, so I could still work with the team really well. Um, and, and yeah, I wouldn't say it was fully reluctant because there's an, there's still a huge interest for me to like grow, um, from a product perspective. Um, but yeah, it, 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 uh, I'd never expected it would blow up as much as it did. Cause I went from being product manager number one and then starting to build out this team to then managing an org of like 120 people. Um, and that was, that was crazy. <laughs> can you, can you give me, first of all, that is crazy. There you are again at such a really kind of young age managing and running a large organ. I mean, that's a large organization, bro. That's, yeah. that's, that's wild. But guess for, at least for me, maybe everybody knows this, but I, I don't pretend to know things I don't know. Can you give me like the two minute spiel on what that job is? What is product management? Like what are your, what's your responsibilities and how do you measure success in that role? Product is being able to kind of help use the, the resources that you have, whether it's engineering or design, um, to like to help create value for customers, um, value enough so that the business can succeed. Obviously, there's a whole strategy component and everything like that. But to me, it's all about how can we create like how can we help put valuable things out into the world, um, and how how do we kind of like manage that from an organization level perspective so we can empower the engineers, empower the designers without them having to deal with any sort of like political BS. So um, that that's kind of my little spiel on product. And I have a lot of opinions on how to build out products and um, what, what makes for good products. Um, but yeah, the transitioning from engineering into product management, I was no longer like working on the code, but I was helping make decisions. I was making decisions about what we were going to build and why, and working to create a high functioning team around that. What research were you doing? Where were you getting the inputs for you to be able to make those uh, product decisions? Was it customer sites, client sites? Like, what is that? Yeah. Uh, lots and lots of like lots and lots, hundreds and thousands probably of customer interviews, like always talking with our customers. We had a really we have a really amazing customer base at Kajabi. Um, they, they're all so, like solo entrepreneurs. And so they're just as interested in us adding useful features to the, the platform than we, as we are. And um, they love giving feedback. And so um, just trying to like really understand um, that person to put yourself in their shoes and to figure out how to build something that's like that gives them superpowers. Um, it's a really fun feedback loop. And then being able to kind of like relay that to the team and get them excited about um, what they're building and the impact that they're making. Um, yeah, it's a really fun process. Even, even though I went five years without writing much code, um, it was a, uh, it was a really fun experience to, uh, you know, to pick up and learn what it looks like to run a product organization like that. All right. So I'm going to, ask you for some advice here one of the things that uh we struggle at arden I'm, I'm saying it out there is our velocity to change just the marketing website okay mm -hmm. the, the i i get frustrated sometimes when i want to change something that i feel is important today 
And I have to wait a month because there's all these other things that has, hasn't gotten done. You know, I still want the quality. Don't get me wrong. There's design and stuff. But how did you handle this idea of all this customer feedback, all this stuff customers want, and, and getting the velocity to get that in, back into the customer's hands? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. Um, I get really impatient with that stuff. <laughs> and so I, I try to create the quickest feedback loops possible. Like at the end of the day, good product is about quality feedback loops um, and and making sure that they're really tight. And so part of it is just like being able to facilitate that. Like what's the soonest we can do to get this into a, a customer's hand, whether it's in a prototype or whether it's in like a, a beta behind a feature flag. Um, and let's build the entire organization around that. We assume everything's an experiment because um, making assumptions about this big thing is going to be successful, you start making bad decisions. You start saying, well, we can spend six months building this because we know it's going to work. It's like, well, what if you assume that like none of it may work and we got to find the right one that's going to work? Like, how would you, how would you work in that way? And, and a lot of times it's kind of counter to some engineering philosophies too, because like I'll get into, um, you know, heated discussions with engineers about like, we need to architect this right. Versus like, we don't even know if this is going to work. And so, um, so we have to like make decisions accordingly. And sometimes we have to write code that gets into production that we're ready to throw away at some point. Um, even though that seems like complete heresy from an engineering standpoint. So, well, I, I, I mean, you have a big customer base. So if you don't get a feature out in a reasonable amount of time, it almost becomes irrelevant again. And now yeah. it all kind of, this is what I'm experiencing just on a little marketing website, right? That by the time you get to it, I've already moved, moved on. You've already missed, you've already burned that territory. It's too late, right? We should have had that there weeks ago. I mean, yeah. you must have had some moments where, just, where you really knew you needed these features out, but you couldn't get to them. And maybe they were no longer, I mean, just... So, yeah, sometimes sometimes it just comes down to like with the constraints that we have, we can't deliver this with a tech, technology solution. So so sometimes you have to look outside of what the engineering team could build and you have to say, this is what we're going to be running in customer support to make this happen. Or this is the process that we're going to create. And it feels manual, it feels painful, but like this is the quickest that we can deliver it. And this is what we feel like is the best time. You don't always optimize for being quick, but like often enough, um, quick gives you quick feedback gives you much better information to, you know, make decisions. And so in your case with the marketing website, I'm like, yeah, if it's taking weeks to update a marketing website, that's way too slow. So that's when you could start looking at investing in, in ways to, to speed that up. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm actually doing one of the, the same thing at Synadia too, where, where right now it's like, we have this static site for our, for our website and we're going through a redesign, but it's like, I also just want it to where if anybody wants to update the copy, they should be able to like log in somewhere and update the copy. <laughs> like, like may, that should, that should happen. Um, so yeah, we made a lot of decisions like that at Kajabi too. We went from a statically maintained website by like one developer to like, let's just use Webflow. I, I know we can build it, but just use Webflow because that way some marketing person can go change the copy if they want. <laughs> um, so sometimes you have to choose not to build things uh, and that's a better decision. I imagine also, I don't, we don't necessarily struggle with this though. I have to, anytime you're dealing with product and you're dealing with that level of feedback, you have to manage what features 
makes sense for the 80%, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's got to be part of your job, right? Like, like that would be great, but it's only going to work for you. Kind of describe how you kind of dealt with that and thought about that and managed that. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, um, Kajabi as a product, it's not a, it's not a super, super simple product, but it's simple. It's not, it's also not like crazy complex. Um, it's kind of middle of the road. Um, it, it has a learning curve for people to pick up, but one of the reasons for the learning curve is because it is super composable. And I think that's one of the things that, um, I've picked up along the way is this idea of composition from programming, but also in product design, um, what does it look like to design a product to where the the straight and narrow like golden path handles 80% of the use cases, um, but those other use cases can still be done with a bit of legwork um, and, and making sure that the system can like support and sustain that. Whether that's building a plugin system, like a more explicit version or building things in a way where they can be composed um, in ways that you would have not thought of before. Um, and, and that's, that, that, that comes from like really designing some of the core components, um, upfront, uh, making sure that they can kind of be composed in, in some interesting ways. Yeah. Like w- one of the interesting abstractions that we created at Kajabi was this idea of like, we have people who are selling digital content, right? So you could easily be like, hi, hey, in my data modeling, we have like a video or like a course that somebody uploads and you just put a price on a course and then you call it a day. Well, we created this abstraction called an offer. Instead of putting a price on a course, you set up an offer. And that offer is like, you decide what that person pays for it. Is it free? Is it a subscription? Is it a payment plan? And then you decide, you know, well, um, in that offer, what are the things that you give to that person when they pay for it? And that ended up creating like a really composable piece of functionality that people started, you know, doing all kinds of things with, instead of selling courses, they were now creating offers with nothing in it. And they were like, I'm selling coaching programs. And that gave us an early signal. It's like, oh, maybe we should like support coaching programs better on the platform. And um, so you always want to leave a little bit of openness, I think, in in product design so, so that customers can surprise you. And quite often, like customers are the largest, strongest signal. If they're doing things that are weird on the platform, we're out there. It's a really strong signal of like where, what the market expectations are and where they're going. Cool enough that the product is at least solving, even if it's not perfect, uh, yep. some form of a problem that they have. And yep. that's always kind of cool. You want to set the product up to solve future problems that you're not anticipating. And quite often when you keep that openness, they're going to be solved in like non-ideal ways, but that's what opens you up to like have new things to to solve for. Um, and it helps you discover those problems a little bit better rather than guessing, well, maybe our customers would like this thing. It's much easier to be like, our customers are already doing this and they're having a really bad time, but they're doing it regardless. So it must be valuable. So let's figure out how to make it easier. Um, and I, I feel like that was just a constant loop for us. It's like, can we keep the platform open enough so people could do weird things? And if they're willing to put in so much hard work to make it happen, it must be something that's valuable. So tell me what happened after nine years of helping build a company from kind of scratch to, what did you say it's worth? Did I, two big billion. number. Yeah, two no, billion. Big, like big how many how many employees are there now? You, you were like, there were like, you said four or five of you when you started or something. And yeah, uh, I think it's like 400 now. That's got to be an amazing thing to just have experienced. 
you start at the beginning yeah. of something that's now this big like at some point you know everybody in the office at some point you don't know hardly anyone right like one day you're walking through the hall and you're like yeah i i don't not only do i not know that person i'm not even going to be introduced yeah it was a lot of that feeling and it's probably one of the reasons you know i i kind of fell off the face of the earth in terms of the go community was it was so much time invested into riding that roller coaster um it was a lot after essentially being an integral part of building this company from almost from scratch you decide now that you want to do what you, you're you're bored like what ha you woke up one morning and said what yeah i think we we raised we raised a big round of funding and at that point i think that i felt like i succeeded at what i wanted to do in terms of product and i didn't really care to take it much further um i, I wasn't interested in like being big company leadership. And so I was chief product officer at the time, but I stepped down and this time it's still at Kajabi, um, but uh, wanted to get back into an engineering role. I was like, I think I did what I wanted to do here and I really miss engineering. Um, and at the time we were still solving some really cool scalability problems um, at, at Kajabi. And so I was like, I, I think I'd have a lot of fun learning you know, what we're working on more uh, intricately. Um, there's also a little bit of a fear that I was like, I haven't been doing engineering for like five years. <laughs> what am I going to, what am I going to do? How long is it going to take me to pick? Like, will I be able to pick this stuff back up again? Um, so I, I worked as an engineering leader at Kajabi for maybe about like eight, nine months. Okay. But time um, out. Everybody knew who you were. You were chief, like you were, uh, yeah. uh an executive. Yeah. It had to be weird to leave the executive floor. I'm going to call it and come back down at the engineering, right? Or is it, did, did people, people who knew you were, they must've been a little scared or worried or nervous or how was that transition to basically come down the ladder? Not just one step, but maybe three or four. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of comfort, uh, conversations and some trepidation too. Cause some, some people who had joined the, or were a lot of people who had joined the organization only knew me as a product person. And so they're like, can Jeremy, do engineering <laughs> like that that was kind of their their question um but it, it worked out like i i'm i'm a pretty approachable person uh, i think the, the only time i've been intimidating was when i had a big title and people were just like naturally intimidated because of that but once we got sat we sat down to like talk i realized that i'm just a normal dude um who's just trying to like be good at his job um and so uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. I think some of the things I really missed were, were some of the, the, um, not being able to lead some of like the, the product managers that I hired that I, that I love, um, or even seeing, you know, other people step into a position that makes decisions of course, naturally that will make decisions that I don't agree with. And that's a hard thing to wrestle with when you have something that you feel like was your baby and that you've built. Uh, and now it's like time to like figure out how to move on from it. Yeah, because you now had to just take orders at some point, whether you agreed with the direction or not. After, yeah. after, were you part of the process of replacing you, or you just stepped down and? I stepped down, and and it, it took them a while to kind of like find a replacement for me. The funny part was, um, I actually hired my boss, so like, um, my my new boss that uh, that who uh, is now our CTO, um, but I hired him as a SVP of engineering when I was running product. And, uh, and then I just went under him. And so he's great. He was great. Uh, he's, he's awesome person to work with. Um, 
What a what an odd. I, I find it super interesting. I'm trying to put myself in that same sort of shoes that now I report to people I've hired and I'm um I don't know, dude. I I like we don't have time to explore it anymore. I just find it super interesting <laughs> that you were you did that for nine months. And do you feel like it just normalized fairly quickly? Or because this yeah. is what you wanted, you allowed it to just you accepted it and you didn't push back and you didn't fight and you just you switched yeah. your roles that that easily in your head. Yeah, I, f I mean, it felt like those nine months. There is a ton of learning there, but it felt like a lot of those nine months. What I like, at least what I recall, is it felt like it was more dominated with me figuring out how to let go of Kajabi. Um, like this company, like I'm, I'm built for startups. Like that's just what I love to do. I love wearing a lot of hats. And we got to a stage of a company where it's like, well. You don't like you don't feel like you have a lot of autonomy anymore. There's lots of lots more red tape for for good reasons, um, and you just kind of uh, when it, it feels a little bit stuck in your lane, you know. And I knew I wanted to still do engineering, but I was like, I think I want to do something where I can wear a lot of hats and work on something cool. And so that whole process of nine months it, it worked out fine, but I think I was just I, I was just struggling with uh, letting go of this you know little baby that that I've built. Um, and, and letting other people kind of like take it wherever it goes. So you finally decide that it's, it, it's, you're going to have to leave and you're going to have to find this next sort of engineering thing. So I remember when you, you reached out to me on Twitter first, I was like elated to mm -hmm. get a message from you, right? Like this was like, I think I told everybody. You can't believe, you can't believe we just reached out to me today. Yeah, I can't believe it, right? I was so excited to to hear from you. And then I was kind of really excited to hear that you were looking to get back into engineering. And talk about the process that you went through to um, finally decide that you wanted to work on Nats, uh, Sendenia, right? Like, because yeah. I, I, I don't know if you reached out to me that early on in the process, it's kind of interesting to hear kind of where in the process also reached out to me, but talk about how you made that decision to do that and, and how you ended up in Nats. Yeah, it was, it was surprisingly hard internally for me because I think I had a lot of stuff flowing through my head. I was stressing myself out a lot because I was like, I had a lot of self-doubt of like, well, I've been at this company for nine years. Like, do I, do I really earn the positions that I've had? Like, I don't know. Like, what would I do if I interviewed today? I, I did, uh, I did make the decision to, um, to not line something up before I gave my notice. Um, because I wanted to publicly talk about, you know, the fact that I'm looking for a new job. Um, and so, and since I've been at the company for a while, I didn't want to just do that without like letting, you know, Kajabi know that I'm moving on. Um, and so, so I kind of felt like I put a lot of pressure on myself to be like, well, I better find a job. Um, uh, I don't want to be out of work for, for too long here. Um, I wasn't really interested in taking like a big sabbatical or anything like that. I was just really eager to figure out what was next. And so I, I had a lot of self-doubt. I was like, do, do I have to go pick up like um, cracking the coding interview and like 
brush up on my algorithms and data structures? Do I even want that? Like, do I want to be a part of a big team in a big, or like, do I want to join a fang company? Do I want to be a part of a big team, a big organization, or will I just feel the same that I do here at Kajabi where it's like, I just feel like I'm stuck in my lane and I can't like go do things that really make an impact unless I'm just working on the thing that I'm assigned. Um, that doesn't, that stuff doesn't interest me. I know some people are like built for that and they love it. I don't. <laughs> Uh, I, I get bored really easily um, and I like to spin up a lot of projects. I'm really good at starting things like z zero to one. I'm fantastic at, I like dealing with a lot of ambiguity. So I wasn't sure what I wanted. I got a lot of, I got a lot of inbound after announcing that I was moving on, um, which was uh, like a sigh of relief that I had people who were interested, but it was still like a lot of them were like SaaS companies and they wanted me to kind of do the same thing that I was doing at Kajabi. And I was like, I know I could do that. And maybe I maybe, like, it's a job. Like maybe I'm okay with that. And then uh, Derek reached out to me, um, who's CEO at Synadia, creator of Nats. Um, and I don't know how much like, you know, about Derek, but for people who are listening, like Derek's been involved in a lot of really high profile things over the years. And Collison, you know, Derek Collison, right? Yeah, Derek Collison, uh, it created, you know, um, he created uh, AppSera and and ran Cloud Foundry. He was legendary at Google for Ajax APIs and um, did a bunch of crazy stuff at Tibco back in the day. And so he's um, he's a top quality. He's an engineer's engineer, and and it's cool because he's a CEO who's still like writing code. He's still like number one contributor to Nat Server, which is rad. Um, and and so he reached out to me, and I mentioned you know a, a little while back um, the the Go CLI helped me land this other job because uh, I remember Derek from, I think it was the very first GopherCon we met up in person, but before that it was all online because Cloud Foundry used uh, my CLI package for their CLI. And Derek being the coder that he is still gets involved in writing all the code for, for stuff some way or another. And he, uh, and, and so he reached out to me when I announced that I was leaving Kajabi and he's like, Hey, like, I don't know what you're looking for, but like, you might be interested in working on Nats. And I was like, yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. Like I work on an open source project. Um, and, and when I looked into Nats, there was a lot that I liked about it as a project, but what I liked more was like the opportunity to grow as an engineer. Like that was the thing, that was the thing that I was like, yes, that's what I want. Like, yes, I could go get a job working product or engineering at a SaaS company, but what do I really want to do? What do I really want? Uh, wh wh where do I really want to grow? And for me, um, and I still think there's lots more for me to do to get here, but it's like, I think my next career goal is to like become some sort of, you know, distinguished engineer. You know, I don't need the title. I don't mean the title. I, I mean more just like, I want to be an engineer that's seen a lot of stuff. Um, and, and this seemed like the opportunity to go do that. Um, and so, yeah, Derek reached out, we talked, he's really fun to talk to him and I gel really well. Um, and, and he's just so, he, he's so motivated to get, um, I think the thing that I really like about, about Derek and the company is like, it doesn't feel like he's just interested in growing Synadia, but there's an interest in really like moving an industry forward in terms of how things communicate. And that was the mission that really got me excited um, because working in open source and 
and working in companies that were, you know, motivated to grow as an organization. I, I like that hybrid of being able to say, let's figure out how to move an industry forward. And if we do that right, like everything else will kind of fall into place. That's what got yeah, me. I'm going to second everything you said about that. He actually helped me in Arden Labs early on by hiring us to do like go training at, you know, the offices in San Francisco. So, and I've always appreciated that. And I, and I, even early on, I loved the Nats tech. I even tried to help out, a, I think, at a GopherCon to help with a workshop to get it mm -hmm. introduced. I've never had the opportunity to really use it uh, for a product, but it's always been on my radar. So when you said that you were going to go work over there, I, I, I literally, I was dancing. I thought, I don't know if I shared this with you, but I, I thought that this was like absolutely the best thing for you and the product and the company. Yeah. And it's been so fun. Like I, I get to learn um, all of these other things that I don't know yet. And I'm, there's still a lot that I, that I don't know about networking and about um, like a lot of the low level systems um, at, at play, but um, it's been, it's been a whirlwind like learning um, about all of that. And, and also it's been fun because I was, uh, I've been able to realize that I have a lot to bring to the table as well. Oh, we have a product that we want to work on and our DNA is open source. So like, how do we inject more of a product thinking to, you know, this organization? And, and that's been super fun for me as well. I, I get to produce content, work on videos, which I always love doing. Um, and so it's, it's been a blast. I, I think it's a really cool technology and I'm, I was excited to like figure out how I can help tell the story a little bit more. Um, because engineering is just like fantastic, like grade A stuff. Um, and there's an opportunity to tell more people about it and to get people excited about using it. Well, I'm excited that you're going to give a workshop at GopherCon 22 um, yeah. on Nats. And if you're heading to Chicago for GopherCon and you're not sure what what workshops, definitely consider the Nats one, even if you don't even if you're not going to necessarily feel like you're going to use this tech tomorrow, I think just having it in your head for any new projects might be, I think it's good to have in your head just to even think about new ideas and new. So what is this workshop that you're going to offer? Really going to, I think you have four hours really. So yep. have you thought about what you want to do in that workshop? Yeah. So I'm mostly talking about NATS and microservices and what I hope for people to walk away with. Yes. They'll take home some practical stuff like how I build this, but more than anything, it's like to, we like, it's an idea we like to talk about people rethinking connectivity. And so, so far, people who've been working in microservices realms, like they've been working with HTTP, gRPC, and they've been working in Kubernetes, maybe in a very advanced workflow, they have something like service mesh, service mesh or a console that's helping with discovery. I wanted people to kind of rethink like, well, all of that is still assuming this like point to point you know, HTTP based communication. What if we were to throw that out the window and we were to start over? Um, how much better would your microservices be if we had something different as a transport layer? It turns out it's, it's like significantly better. It solves problems that like, it solves problems that seem so hard. Um, and I think a lot of the a lot of the things around how people are doing microservices today are just layering on top of this like HTTP construct and it exacerbates some problems as well. And so I think, I hope people walk away just kind of, like you said, maybe they're not going to take a Brownfield project and, you know, replace everything with Nats. You don't need to do that. Um, but that people can start thinking like there are different ways 
to go about building and architecting these things um, that can solve whole classes of problems, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see the next round of repositories that you start to publish now that you're head down engineering again. You you really were, uh, uh, you were very instrumental in the early days of Go with the packages that you were publishing. I think you had a lot of influence on those earlier systems that were being built. And I think a lot of people built off of that as yeah. well. And so um, I'm so excited to see you back because of your ability to think in these engineering ways and to produce these sorts of now we call them modules, right? So these, these mm -hmm. modules. And, I, and I'm really excited to see what, what, um, what happens over the next couple of years here with the engineering and, and the NATs and all that. Dude, I'm, I'm super excited. Yeah, I, I am too. I, I feel like I'm back in my element, which is really cool. Um, it, was, it was really fun to, to go after something big with Kajabi and building that product org. But um, I, I definitely feel a lot more at home now uh, doing, doing engineering work. Um, for most of my day. So, and for all you uh, old school gophers, Jeremy's going to be at GopherCon in Chicago. We get to see him again live. So, if that's not enough to buy a ticket, dude, I, I honestly don't know what is. <laughs> It'll be fun. I'm excited to meet up with people that I haven't uh, seen in years and years. So, it's fun to be back in the community for sure. All right, we are out of time, but Jeremy, tell everybody if they want to reach out after listening uh, to the podcast, what's the best ways that somebody can get in touch with you? Sure. You can go, uh, you can tweet me. Um, my Twitter is uh, the code gangsta. So T H E C O D E and gangsta with it, just an A. Um, I'm sure. Bill will include it somewhere, but uh, we will. We'll get it in the show notes for sure. All right, awesome. Well, this was super fun, Bill. Thanks for uh, allowing allowing me to tell my life story. <laughs> no, dude, amazing story, right? Like you've done all this, just basically coming out of high school and having this amazing ability to just see engineering and product in a almost in a natural way. I I almost wonder where that came from right because you had no formal education in any of this but you just inherently had a propensity for it uh, is that a good way of saying it i think it's a natural creative in me um like i so, some engineers lean very structured i'm so unstructured and i like soft edges and it felt like computers were able to to do things like that so um that's yeah that's that's kind of just what makes me me. I love the story. I love I love the story that you're able to do this right out of high school, because I I really believe that I, I believe in education and I believe in all of that. But I also, as I ha, um, talk to more and more more people, I think you got to really just kind of trust your instincts and trust yourself at every age, and 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 just go for it. And I think that's what you did, and and kind of look at where you are today. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thanks, Bill. Really appreciate it, dude. Awesome. All right, so this is Jeremy and Bill with the On Labs podcast signing off and hope to see everybody again real soon. <laughs>